This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. I'm Poonam Verma. On the show today, we get a beautiful Christmas story by author John Felton, read by his lovely wife, Heinke. Looks like everyone around us has got flu right now, but how can you tell the difference between a flu, cold and COVID? We're going to find out from Dr. Pavan. And with the festive season here, it's not all that happy, especially if your parents are divorced. What kind of pressure does it put on the kids and how challenging is it to navigate Christmas? Do you have two Christmases or have you found a happy medium? And Helen catches up with Massimo Baturo, the international superstar of chefs. He was in town recently. So in the studio now, I've been having such a laugh. We have John Felton and Heinke Felton. John is an author. He writes a lot of children's book called the Henry's Children's Book Collection. And he emailed me and Heinke did and said, can we come and read the latest Christmas story, which is called Henry and Glitter? And I said, how can I turn you two down? So um, Heinke, tell, tell us how, how old John is, because he writes these books and he, he doesn't see very well. No, and he doesn't hear very well. He doesn't hear very well, but he's 82. I know. How are you feeling, John? I'm feeling fine. Can you hear me? I can hear you very well so with when these huge things on. With the headphones. When yes. you see me, how old do I look? Because I know your eyesight's a little bit faded. Do I look 21? Uh, uh, you're leading into difficult territory, but um, you look about 23, I oh, think. Yes. That's just mm. like he's really honest, isn't it? Mm. What's it like being married to him? Oh, wonderful. He has got such wonderful sense of humour. I know it's a British sense of humour, and being German, we don't have that, and yes. I adore it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I have the British sense of humour, so me and John can relate. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> so you're in good hands today, Heinke. So yes, tell us about you. this new book, Henry and Glitter. What's it about, John? Uh, Henry and Glitter is really, Heinke challenged me. Uh, I said, I'm going to write a Christmas card, and she said, you don't think a Christmas card's quite right here? And I said, watch me. So I wrote a Christmas card and Andy Hunt did marvellous illustrations and it sort of grew and um, it's a sort of Christmas story which I hope people will listen to, particularly the last few lines, which I hope are a message which we might all take on board. I, I want to um, ask you, as a granddad, what tips or advice would you give to children growing up in this day and age? Like when you look at them, because you've got six grandkids. How long have we got? Uh, How long do you want? I'll (laughs) give it to you because I I need some advice. I think the the truth is that we have to look back and try and take some good things from the past and add them to the things of the future. One of the things I say to children when they start reading my stories is slow down. Everybody talks incredibly quickly Everything happens incredibly quickly. What we need is occasionally to slow down, take a bit of time, think about things, and perhaps that will improve our lifestyle. Yeah, what about you, Heinka? I mean, you you always talk about how you're very childlike. Are are you calm and relaxed? No, I'm childlike. I'm up and down and round and round and spinning around and mainly giggling. Oh, dear. So, so, so what's it like being married to uh, Heinke, John? Mm, mm. 
You're not asking me that on <laughs> I'm asking radio. You, I'm asking you on air. You can say um, she's not listening. Okay. She's got the headphones on. Where's your divorce coach? Are they here yet? <laughs> they'll be on. At, they'll be on at four. So I'll keep you here. And I'll give you the direct contact number. Okay, fine. Give me the number. Superb. <laughs> I love it. You see. <laughs> so your kids, um, a grandchildren, have inspired you to write all these books. How long does it take, on average, to come up with a book, or or even this, the Henry and Glitter? Um, it varies enormously. There's one terrible occasion when awful grandchild came down. It was after Christmas a few years ago and said, Pop, can we write a Henry story? And I said, yes. And very stupidly, I asked him, what should it be about? And he looked me straight in the eye and said, um, Henry had terrible head lice. Oh. I have actually written a book about Henry and head lice and actually took me two and a half hours to write some 600 words. We just sat down and by 10.30 that morning it was finished. You go around and read these books to kids, don't you? Yes, we love to go to schools and we're hoping that that will really start again from the sort of post-Covid time coming up then the next term and we go to schools. Heike does the reading. I do a bit of talking about how uh, to make a book and how to write. And we also started um, earlier in the year a thing called a writer's fun shop yeah. where we got the children to do the writing and that was great fun. I've just had a text from Finn saying, I know this lovely couple that you're interviewing and I love them. Do you know Finn? Um, don't Finn. Know. Finn. Well, apparently Finn yes. knows you. And also the interesting thing is that our grandson's nickname is Finn Finn, and that's how Finn and Finn Finn sort of pings in the memory. So um, what do you get when you write these books and these cards? What, what do you feel, the passion, or do you just feel like, what is the message you want to send through, these, through this I, writing? I think if you look at my sort of collection, you'll realise it's incredibly varied, and I wonder where it all comes from. I've written about headlines, hiccups, um, Glitter. Um, Do you think you should write one now about being online, social media, the kids and anything like that? Has that inspired Social you? media and I do not mix, A, because of my age uh, and B, because I can't see to use the computer. Oh. Um, perhaps I ought to. Only because they're always on it, the kids. They're very distracted. And like you were saying, we need mm. to slow down. We need to be focused oh. and be in the yes, present. I have written some other poems, some of poems. Mm. That's a highfalutin word. Um, I have written about children's reaction to iPads and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I sometimes worry that iPads isolate, whereas to an extent, I hope books bond. Yeah. Well, we're going to get a little bit of um, reading from Heinke, Henry and the Glitter. And you wanted to come on the radio and read this. So would you like to start? Okay. Put your, put your narrative voice, that, you know, storybook voice on. Okay, I'll, I'm looking for it. <laughs> Glitter, said Henry, almost spitting the word. Sea anemones pretended they just hadn't heard. It wasn't a bad word, but the way it was said so troubled was Henry as he swam off to his bed. That twenty-branch coral and all down the reef was decked out with tinsel. It beggared belief. Cod King wore a white beard and a tasseled nightcap that matched his red nose and his red Santa sack. A fish choir was singing 
just trilling away as if come tomorrow would be Christmas Day. They sang about stars and three very wise fish who swam a long way with gifts on a dish. Then came a fish child, so small just a sprat, on a visit to Santa to see what he's at. Cod King blubbled a greeting, a very strange noise that reminded Fish Child of a snorting porpoise. Fish Child looked up at that weird cod-like face, covered in whiskers all over the place. Santa Cod King said slowly, "We'll just have to see what Fish Santa leaves you under the sea." Santa said, "Fish child, is Christmas so near? It's not yet December, so why are you here?" Santa paused for a moment, thought long, and said, "But don't you like all the tinsel and shops that don't shut?" "Well," said the fish child, "it just seems to me there's tinsel and glitter all over the sea." Why do we need it at this time of great joy? It's not about presents, but a beautiful boy. Well, 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 stuttered Santa. Not all would agree with so many religions on land and in sea. I know," said the fish child. "But I've just had a thought. Unlike your tinsel, joy cannot be bought." But perhaps we can give it. Perhaps we can share, and whatever religion we just will not care, a present of happiness, of peace, and of love, fits all the world's seasons, like a hand fits a glove. John, I think she did justice to that story. It's beautifully read. What do you think? It was beautiful, Hanka. You've got a beautiful voice, and what a lovely story! Thank you so much. Now, John, tell everyone where you're going to be tomorrow. Uh, I'm at the Emirates Mall um, by the theatre from I think one o'clock through till about seven.、Um, there's a sort of little market there,、uh, and if anybody is coming,、mm. would they please remember that I can't manage these card machines. So bring cash. <laughs> I didn't want to say it quite as forcefully. <laughs> uh, uh, no, as we need to be direct with people. Bring、okay. some cash, and you can get your hands on this beautiful little card stroke book, Henry and Glitter by John Felton, beautifully read by Heinke Felton, Grandma, Granddad Felton. It has been a pleasure. I wish you a Merry Christmas. And you,、Merry、and、Christmas、to Helen, to and to Helen, we wish、yes. her all the best. Thank you for coming in. Healthy habits on afternoons with Helen Farmer. Oh, that's got me in a good mood. I hope you're feeling in a good mood. I can tell you right now, Helen isn't. She is at home with a bad,、uh, banging head. She texts me. She can't speak very well. Sore throat, sniffles, and everything.、Uh, what is going on? There's a lot of people who are getting flu out there, and we're going to find out more right now.、Uh, if you have got the flu and you've just tuned in, obviously it's me, Poonam Verma, with you till 5 p.m. With me now is Dr. Dr. Pavan Shrivastava from NMC Healthcare. How are you doing, sir? How are you feeling today? Yeah, good afternoon. I'm very fine. You haven't had a cold recently, have you? Been no,、good? no, 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 not. Okay, so let's let's talk about.、Um, you know, so many people are ill: sore throats, coughs, sniffles. Is, is it just the season, or is it more than last year? Because I feel like it's more. I don't know why. Yeah. See, the thing is that the 
we get common cold whole year but the influenza flu virus is mostly comes in the winter but because last two three years because of corona people were taking more care take using mask and all those thing so those years uh, influenza was less but now this is here we are finding influenza virus getting people infected more than previous years okay so i'm not a doctor obviously but i had a little bit of a, an idea and you tell me if this is wrong or right because people have been overprotected sanitizing they've been wearing masks for a year or so has that reduced the immune system so it's easier to catch things now this year no not really like so, this yeah i want to talk to them it's nothing to do with that nothing to do with that so should we just be wearing masks then like right now if it's there's a lot of flu around yes mask will help for all respiratory illnesses the mask is a good thing to protect but it's not like it's winter winter here like if you want winter i go back home to the uk that is cold winter so is is it is it just a slight change in the season or is it actual cold weather because isn't it's, that cold uh, here the influenza virus mostly comes during this time we start preparing to give the vaccination from september onwards because we expect this the peak of this will come by october november but is this also because we have a lot of people traveling at this time and there's a lot it's easier for for it to spread yes this is also one of the reason but mostly that uh, influenza virus is uh, in the winter months it's coming okay so what exactly is influenza like what what is it break it down for us uh the thing is that the uh, influenza is like uh, other common cold also but then then it is there is a slight variation number 1 the virus which is causing the influenza uh, flu is this influenza virus there are three types a b and c but mostly we get a and b then second thing is that the uh, symptoms yeah. in the patient who get influenza is much more than common cold in common cold you get some headache body ache some throat pain for one or two days and it improves mm. but in influenza the patient gets very high grade fever going up to 39 40 degree centigrade severe body ache severe myalgia fatigue nausea and you feel tired really tired so then symptoms last also longer so it's, it's the severity of the illness is much more than common cold number 1 number 2 the common cold doesn't have much of complications the influenza virus when get infected especially in elderly people people those are pregnancy people are when children people having lung diseases asthma or kidney diseases they can have more complications in the form of pneumonia acute exacerbation of bronchial asthma or even respiratory failure so it is there is always chances of complications that's why we need to be more careful with influenza you know you're talking about body aches and and I was as soon as you're saying it I'm thinking I I felt a body ache the other day so suddenly I'm thinking oh my god maybe I have influenza or flu touch wood I'm okay I I mean you can I mean we're around a lot of people there's a lot of people here in the office who who have been ill what is the quickest way for it to spread because we're all touching the same computers we're all you know touching the, the same doors the, uh, all these respiratory illnesses mostly travel by droplet when somebody is coughing or is sneezing is spreading the droplets and which are containing virus which can directly go to the contact in person or it can go through some surfaces mm-hmm. like door knobs or where he is touched or you have touched and touched your mouth and nose or 
through uh, this thing coming in close contact with the infected person but then it's not like you can really avoid it i mean the people who are not getting it is it just a stronger immune system they're taking better prevention what is it see obviously like in covid also some people got covid so many people yeah. didn't get Mean so you have a inherent immune system and some people obviously they must have taken influenza vaccine which must be protecting them yeah you say that but helen is away today and she's got flu and a month ago she took the flu jab so should she be protected or see that is the most important thing so many patients they do come and tell this thing that i have taken influenza virus so all these studies which has been done they have specifically shown that the people those have taken influenza vaccine mm. will have a shorter duration of illness will have less uh, symptoms if they get even they if they get influenza okay so they might so get it but it won't last as it's long it's not 100% protection it you may might get but obviously the severity of the illness and the duration reduces this content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment this is afternoons on dubai i 103.8 the uae's number one talk radio station Spoon and Verma with you, filling in for Helen. How many of you had the flu jab and now, that you've, now you've got the flu? Well, that's exactly what is happening with Helen today, poor thing. Uh, but we are talking about the flu, how to prevent it. Is it on the rise or is it just a seasonal thing? We do have Dr. Pavan Srivastava with us from the NMC Healthcare and he's going to be sharing more. Healthy Habits on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. So, Dr. Pavan, now COVID is still lurking around. it hasn't died a slow death yet how do you know if you may have covid symptoms or flu because they're quite similar yeah i fully agree with this that the symptoms of covid and flu are almost same it's very difficult to distinguish by just examination or by by listening to the complaints of the patient so the uh, symptom wise it is also in the same fever cough but in covid we don't get much of nasal stuffiness running nose another thing in covid uh, in the flu it is more of upper respiratory complaints like the running nose throat irritation and all those things but you can do have these symptoms with corona also so obviously whenever we have these patients we need to check for the covid also and influenza also so most people if they're coming in with a few symptoms that are similar you're going to test them yes and have you noticed a lot of people have it or is majority flu and cold majority is flu but we have got some people those who are covid positive and some have both okay um have you noticed if those who've had covid in the past are more prone now to getting a more severe cold or flu is has research come out with that yet yes the the thing is that the uh, as long as about we if we talk about the research nothing much studies has come that they are more prone or not but what we have seen in clinical practice mm. it's not that the those people those have covid will have more severe, uh, uh, going to get infected well, it's because we hear that sometimes um covid's made the uh, organs or whatever weaker for those people not really like this but the symptoms the cough and all those things may persist longer in the people those had covid before because mm. because of uh, infection before with the covid their uh, lung structures and everything is slightly deranged mm. so they may take longer time to recover 
So let's talk about the flu jab. Um, everyone had an issue at the beginning with taking a vaccine for COVID because we, you know, we didn't know what was in it. Flu jab's been around for a while. I, I'm very holistic. I'll do everything. So if I'm if I know I've got a cold, I'll go straight to ginger garlic or turmeric all the indian spices that i grew up with or you know something hot to kill the germs as soon as possible on the odd occasion i'll have a paracetamol other than that i don't actually take anything really so i i use that holistic way so um when i was offered the flu jab back in the uk i was like no i'm fine at the moment but should we all be vaccinated is it is it worth doing see vaccination as i told you is obviously is going to prevent you getting the infection Number one. Number two, the severity of the illness will be less. Duration will be less. And the recommendation is to, as per the CDC guidelines and other guidelines, the recommendation is to give everyone. But most important is the group of patients, those who have like pregnancy, pregnant ladies or uh, females planning to get pregnant, mm. elderly people, people those have chronic diseases like chronic liver disease, chronic kidney disease, Obese people, people have uh, lung conditions like bronchitis, yeah. bronchitis. These are the high-risk groups. Though it should, they must get vaccination. Other people, especially uh, the normal people in this age group of uh, middle age group and all those things, they may, if they want, they can take. If they don't want, still they can okay. continue. It is not mandatory for them. But then, once the infection comes in the community, everybody is prone to get it. Touch what I haven't got it yet, but now I've said that live out on air, I'm going to get it. <laughs> it no, Maybe you have some natural immunity for that. Do you know what? I think I do, but I also think it's because um, I use all this, all this that I grew up with, which prevents from, uh, it keeps your body, you know, people go out there and buy turmeric. We've been eating it for 30, 40, <laughs> hundreds of years. You know, these general things, healthy things that really do protect your body. Um are flu vaccines safe? And what are some of the side effects? Yeah, see, the flu vaccines are there for last 50 years and it is supposed to be very safe vaccine. Number one, it is because it's an inactive virus. So it is not the, you are not going to get the disease if you get the people have this means concept that, that once we take the influenza uh, vaccine, we may get the infection and we can have symptoms of... Yes, that's what I always thought. I thought every vaccine you have, you'll get a similar symptom to it first. Uh, no. Ah. So only few people can have some myalgia, some body ache, and which can just respond to some painkiller. Mm. And maximum some induration or redness or the site of injection. But otherwise, it is supposed to be very safe injection. It's even given in pregnancy. Anybody can take this. Okay. There is no... Uh, this thing... Even... There is one more thing I want to tell is that the even along with the COVID vaccine, if it is due, you can take. Some people have some. So, so you're saying you can take the COVID vaccine and the flu vaccine. Yes. So will the flu vaccine protect us against COVID-19? No. Ah, interesting. It was there before when the COVID vaccine was not there. So people thought the influenza vaccine will yeah. protect. But it's not because they are totally two different viruses. These viruses, they're all yeah. over the place. What is the situation with COVID-19? Have you noticed generally, is it is it calming down with the patients that you're seeing? or It's very less nowadays, very less. And, 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 and the symptoms, are they and less? Very few, very less symptoms. They're recovering well and all those things. We are not giving much of medications also. And do you think this is because of the vaccine that's protected? It people? looks like it is because of, obviously because of the vaccine that we could control the disease which was spreading like anything. I know. I know, it was a crazy time. Fingers crossed everything will be fine. Dr. Pavan, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. And I hope you stay healthy throughout Christmas. Yes. Merry Christmas. Yes.
Yeah. Merry Christmas uh, to you. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> and uh, take vaccine and get... Uh, oh, now you're telling me to take... I'm going to have ginger first. And then uh, if, I, if I have a flu, I'm coming back to okay, you. <laughs> okay, okay, no problem. <laughs> there you go. He's pushing the vaccine on me. This content is for informational purposes only. If you would like to seek medical treatment, please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalised advice and diagnosis. Now, our next topic, uh, I mean, it's Christmas and it should be joyful, but for some people, it can be a bit of a struggle, it can be a bit lonely and it can be confusing, especially if your parents are separated. Who do you spend Christmas with? How do you gift? Maybe for some people, they've been used to this for years. For some, it could be the first Christmas where the parents have got divorced. So we're going to try and see how we can navigate this. And we've got a wonderful lady on. She's been on before. Her name is Karen McNenny. And she's with us again. She's a relationship and human behavior expert. And also known as the Good Divorce Coach. Hello, my love. How are you, Karen? Good morning. So nice. Good afternoon. I'm on the other side of the world. I've got to get my time change right. Now, you are such a brave woman. Tell everyone what time it is where you are. It's 5 a.m. Even the sound of that makes me feel so stressed. How are you feeling? I'm just pretending it's one of those early morning talk shows. I'm great. Yeah, I used to do one of those early morning talk shows. I hated it, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the breakfast show, Karen. <laughs> okay, so um, we've had you on before and you're amazing. And Helen was supposed to be here, but she obviously is under the weather. But I'm kind of glad that I'm going to talk to you about this because uh, it's something that I'm experiencing within my family. Um, and we're talking about divorce today. Fortunately, it's, I'm not going through it. But in all honesty, Karen, I actually get quite anxious when I think about this because one of my family members is going through it actually during Christmas. And um, it's not only been tough for her, but it's also been tough for us as a whole family. And one of the reasons being, for, for me personally, is it's not in our culture to get separated. I'm Indian. You stick at it. You make it work. I've never been around any uncles or aunties or parents who've got divorced. So this is something that we don't even know how to navigate. So I'm hoping that it'll ease my anxiety. You'll also make me see things from a more positive aspect so I can give her some support and also help anyone else who's going through this, even any, any young kids, you know, if your parents are divorced and, you know, Christmas is around the corner. So before we go into this, Briefly tell everybody why you became a divorce coach and how. That is such a great question. And I think so often people are like, who would want to be a divorce coach? (laughs) That sounds like terrible work. I love this work. Uh, And and this is why, Punam. I have been divorced 11 years myself. My kids were six and seven. They're now 16 and 17, almost turning 18. So I've been through all these different stages of their life cycle. And I am, I'm, I have to say I'm proud of the divorce that their father and I have, which is different than saying I'm proud we got divorced. Mm. It's not the thing any of us set out to do. It's the way you handled it. Uh, And yet it happens. And we were able to do so in a way that has always kept our children at the center of the family focus. We live very close together. We have spent time in each other's homes. We share all of the special events for the kids. I often say the marriage may be ending, but the relationship is not. 
particularly, of course, if you share children together, you're going to continue to be in contact, have conversation, uh, nurture these children as they grow and launch into their own adult life. And for me, at the time when we were facing our own uh, unraveling of our marriage, I thought, I don't want to be enemies with the father of my children. Mm. I don't want to spend time in court and spend money uh, into the legal system. I want to be able to figure out how to do this well. And there were not a lot of examples 10 years ago. Now, certainly the certified divorce coaching environment is growing around the world and we are finding ways to support families so that they can take a path that, again, nurtures the family and that we can fight for the good divorce instead of fighting for the bad marriage. You, but here's the thing. When you were separating, did you both know this marriage was over? Because there are situations, such as my family mm-hmm. member, where the husband doesn't want to give up, but the wife has. Sure. And every single marriage is so unique in every situation and every divorce story. You know, for my personal story, uh, there was a time where we knew we were in high conflict and struggle. Can we stay together? Can we save this? I think many families, uh, couples run into that question. Are we in? Are we out? Are we in? Are we out? And during that time, we were in counseling. And, and then it became clear that this marriage is complete, right? There was a it's come to kind an of end. an expiration date. Yeah, there was nothing more you could work on it. So here's the thing. A psychologist was on um, a couple of days ago and she said that she finds that divorces spike after holidays. Have you noticed that? Well, one of two things happen here in my home country of the United States. We have a lot of people who maybe started their divorce process in the summer or in the fall or, you know, these things can take any length of time from months to years. And so there's a big rush before the end of the year to complete the divorce proceedings because people don't want to start their fresh year still entangled in this challenging story or to have to continue to do, you know, in our world, we've got annual taxes that get filed at the beginning of the year. So they want everything to be separate. And I find that the court system and the legal path can be very packed people rushing to the court to get complete before the end of the year. And then there's the other side where there's people who've maybe started the process late in the year, or they've been thinking about it, simmering, and then the new year comes and they want to move forward, but they don't want to do so in the middle of the holidays, as you can imagine, or they can have one more Christmas together as Mm. a family. How how are you spending Christmas? How have you been spending Christmas over the past 10, 11 years since you've been separated? We have always had our Christmas mornings together. The we alternate in our homes, so both 
Uh, father and I have been very active and equal in our parenting time and our parenting commitment. So if Christmas was with me uh, in my home, then dad would arrive. Often we would say, kids, when you wake up, let me know, and then we'll wait and dad can come over so he can be there as they come into the magic of Christmas and the stockings are hung and filled and there's gifts from Santa and we would have brunch together and play and then dad would maybe uh, move on for the day into other activities and we would stay. I would advise to try not to create a transition on Christmas day. I know that parents want access to their children on both days mm. or uh, on that day. And sometimes we're, we're lifting kids out of their pajamas and out of the magic of playing with their new toys. And this is when we have to really remember to try not to be too rigid with the rules of divorce, the rules of separation. Like, well, we're splitting this holiday or I gave them that Christmas present. And so it only can be at my house. I don't want it traveling. Well, if it's not a present that you can freely give to the child to enjoy how they wish and where they wish, then that may not be a good present for a family that lives across two homes. So what are some of the main challenges that you find families are facing if it's their first Christmas after a divorce? Yes. So we just touched on a couple of those, which is uh, to not sort of land grab the time mm. uh, with the children, letting them have a little bit of guidance of what is going to be special and magical for them. Um, trying to not compete with each other. You know, this yeah. gift giving, not being possessive about gifts and where they live. But secondly, trying to not outdo each other. Children can smell that and it starts to feel insincere and it feels less like love from the parent and more like I'm going to buy your love so that you love me the most. That's not Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that with people. I've had a text from Jolene. She said, "Um, could you give me some advice? My ex and I get on very well. And our teenage son has asked for a phone for Christmas. Now, we're happy to both contribute to the cost. But we wonder if a joint present would be confusing for him. That is a great question. We've been doing joint presents forever. And uh, I don't think that's confusing for our children, at least. And if you're doing it well, and it sounds like you are, Jolene, so I want to celebrate that. Uh, A joint present doesn't say, oh, your parents are possibly getting back together. Let's all get our hopes up. A joint present says, we are still your parent team. We make decisions together about... um, your health. We make decisions together about what's in your best interest. We make decisions together about it's time for you to have a phone. And that is a shared expense. Um, But it's also one of those objects that that child is going to utilize in both homes. And that there, if you will, is ownership of the decision as well as the boundaries around that phone. You know, our kids, especially those big gifts, if it's downhill skis, if it's um, uh, what goes into their stocking, 
phones, bicycles, all of those things mm -hmm. we have collectively paid for and gifted to our children from mom and dad. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. If you're a couple that's separated, your parents are divorced, how do you celebrate Christmas? Can it be a bit of a struggle, challenging, or have you found a happy medium? We're talking to Karen McNenny. She is the good divorce coach and she's giving some great advice and tips. So, Karen, um, we've received a text, and this is a really good text. When should we include a new partner in the Christmas celebrations? I've been divorced for three years, and in May, I met my girlfriend. Um, I'd love her, love to include her on Christmas Day, and she's met the kids before. They're aged 10 and aged 8. And when they met, all went very well. But maybe this is too much too soon. And he said, we haven't said I love you yet, but I do love her. There's no name, but it's obviously a guy. That's an interesting question. When is too soon or, you know, how long do you leave it till you introduce them, especially at Christmas time? This is a question that I know is coming up around the world for families as they are navigating the integration of new partners. Mm -hmm. And I'm just delighted that people are even stopping to ask the question. I can't tell you how many individuals just plow forward without regard to their children or how this might impact them or what might be appropriate. So there's a number of factors to take into consideration. The first one has been identified. You've already been divorced three years. So we'll just say that there's three Christmases under your belt in the new normal. And I think that's important that there's a time in which you've created new traditions and a new reality for your children. So they're not expecting it could be very jarring if one year you were all together as a happy family and then the next year suddenly there's someone new at the table um, in a romantic way. That mm. can be jarring. But again, depending on the age of the children and the relationship, that situation may have uh, different parameters. These children at 10 and 8 years old, they're going to be taking in all the information and really watching. So one thing in any situation, I always encourage parents to think about what is the story we're writing mm. and how would our children retell this story in 10 days, in 10 months, in 10 years, mm. and what kind of impact. And that can be a good barometer. The relationship itself, the one bit of information I don't have from this particular listener is how long have you been in relationship with this individual? We don't want to create a swinging door of people coming and going that children are connecting with. Um, it can add to our sense of insecurity or security in future relationships when we think about attachment style. And if there are always people coming and going and new partners, then that can begin to send a message to the children that people don't hang around and deep relationships are uh, more like a turnstile. Generally, I think a good rule of thumb is that the relationship has six months under its belt. 
uh, before we begin to introduce uh, to the children. Yeah. You know, anything less than six months can be deceptive. Love is exciting and fresh. And as we know, it actually takes 18 to 24 months for all of those uh, love drugs in our brain <laughs> to wear off. The honeymoon period to die. <laughs> period. That's right. So congratulations, listener, on being thoughtful and really thinking about how and when is the best time to bring someone into new holiday and other special occasions for the family and the children. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. We're chatting to Cara McNenny. She's known as the Good Divorce Coach and helping us navigate through Christmas, especially if a lot of you, maybe it's your first time that you're getting divorced and spending Christmas. How do you do it with a family? Do you split it? Do you have two Christmases or uh, you have new partners? There's so much to think about. Uh, you can join in the conversation. So, Karen, you know, a lot of people uh, say to me with my family member, you know, how old are the kids now that both of them are, are separating? And I say, oh, 16 and 18. They said, oh, that's not bad. But in my heart, I, it doesn't matter how old I am. If my parents had told me that they were separating, it would kill me, literally. And it's like this text, this mm. lady says, you know, it, it sh- Terry says the mum and dad separated after 34 years and it still really hurts. And we've had another text saying my parents split when I was 23. I'm 29 now and it doesn't even get any easier. So when people say is there a good age for the kids, is there? Or, do, or is it just there well, to make us feel better? I think the real question is how can we talk with our children and then proceed in our divorce so that it is less painful for our children. And so often it's when the young adult, the 20 something and the parents are coming to the wedding and they, they can't be in the same photograph together. They can't sit in the same side of, of the church or the ceremonial place. It's those things Mm. that make it difficult for children. It's the behavior and the relationship of the adults and different ages are going to impact children differently. Some experts will say that under the age of five, children won't necessarily even have memories of the parents together Mm -hmm. and that what they are creating in their childhood memories is life in either two homes or at least with one primary parent. You mentioned 16 and 18. We often hear this mantra, stay for the children, stay for the children. Wait till they graduate, until they get into college or leave home. And the challenge with that age is that the family doesn't have any structure or guidelines of how to be a divorced family. So when young adults in particular, 18, 19, early 20s, it's what I call the boomerang age where young adults are going out to college or secondary school and then they're coming back home for holidays and then they're going back out and then they're coming home to work for the summer and, and then they graduate but they don't yet have their own job or their own home. and they So now the children have to negotiate both parents without there being any precedent previously about how do we do this? I'm coming home from university and I don't know where to go. Um, And I think parents 
fool themselves by thinking, oh, it'll be easy if we wait, but now we don't have any infrastructure mm. um, for the family or guidelines for the children, and now they end up having to be the ones to negotiate that. Should you have two Christmases, and let's say you don't have two Christmases, should you ask the kids who they want to spend Christmas Day with? Well, I'll address the second part of that question first. I would say don't ever put your children in the decision-making seat in mm. these situations. Mm. It it puts a pressure on them to do the hard work that you are unable or unwilling to do yourself. Mm. Children don't ever want to choose between mom and dad. That is just a, a painful adult responsible thing um, that the adults should be doing. And in terms of two Christmases, you know, often, as was the case with our family and those that I coach, I encourage them, you know, to alternate back and forth if there are two homes in the family. I know in some cultures, mom might be the primary parent and uh, and then maybe on special occasion, there is residency with the father. However, if you're a family that says, well, we both want time, if you can't share that Christmas together in either mom's or dad's house, that's the most ideal. Give the kids their one fun Christmas morning you know, to spend the day together. But if it is the two Christmas scenario, then is there a way that we can split that? Can Christmas Eve be in one household with those grandparents and those relatives and then Christmas Day be with the other family? I find that splitting down the middle makes the kids feel like you're splitting them down the middle. And we have to be careful as we're carving out time that it doesn't start feeling like we're carving up our children. Mm. So Tanya's text saying, without elaborating much on the divorce itself, this will be my first Christmas divorced from the father of my three children who are age 12, 8 and 4. And I'm dreading it. Does Karen have any advice on how to make it easier for the children and for me on the days they are not with me? Christmas used to be a huge month-long event at our home, and I'm so worried about how to cope alone this year, both emotionally and financially. That's from Tanya. Let's start with the self. Thank you, Tanya. And I'm, I'm sending you a big, hug um, to you and all of our listeners. And whether it's your first Christmas or your 10th Christmas, there is something about the holidays that can re-trigger a melancholy, a Mm. reminder of the separateness. And it is so surprising sometimes the way grief and pain can come over us. Totally. And absolutely. (laughs) I I, I can relate to this. I can relate to this. Yeah. Yeah. And for yourself, I think making a plan ahead of time, if you are the parent that is going to be loaned, other people don't always know how to support us. So for those listeners out there who have a family member, a close friend that you know is divorced and may be facing the holidays alone, please reach out, invite Mm -hmm. them to your family home, uh, create some time for them. Uh, sending messages, checking in by phone if you can't get together in person, filling that space and letting them know they're not alone. And for those of you that are 
the divorced individual, we have to be brave and reach out and ask for what we need. It might feel like you're inviting yourself to someone else's dinner party, and that may be exactly what you need to do as a coping mechanism. And people will say, oh, I didn't know. People don't know what's going on for us. Do we have our children? Do we not have our children? Mm. So being proactive and letting people know how to support us can be so beneficial. And if you're the one... Um, you know, moving into the holidays for the first time, there can be great benefit in creating new traditions, which might sound somewhat painful Mm. at first, but if you're a family that, oh, and in the afternoon we would always go together and do this thing in this way, the four or five of us as a unified family. Well, it might be that now in the afternoons we do something that is different and special as you know, with the single parent and creating new traditions helps us celebrate that whether than rather than feeling kind of the emptiness of the standard tradition. And there is that empty seat at the table where mom or dad would always yeah. be sitting. Uh, Leah text saying, I can relate to the struggle of having divorced parents during the holidays. I'm 21 and mine have been divorced for 10 years. It can be incredibly hard and stressful, especially in the beginning. But the important thing to remember is that I know my parents love me. Thank you for that, Leah. Um, And just to finally end this conversation, Karen, any basic practical advice people preparing for a divorce if it's on the cards for 2023, which is, you know, you have to be prepared. You have to be realistic about it. Any tips? Yes, I refer to this as the packing the parachute period, Mm. the PPP, where we're psychologically thinking, how will I financially sustain myself? Where might we live? Mm. How might we share time with the kids? What, um, will it look like professionally when I'm a single income household? Um, so, so that sort of thinking, I would also remind people, you know, there is beginning to be a global community of divorce coaches. And what we do is we prepare the soil, if you will, to grow the new family Mm -hmm. rather than going directly to a lawyer. Uh, and, and we need our, our legal support. Um, and in no way am I disregarding the expertise and the importance that the legal community brings to the process, mm. but it actually does not have to be the place to begin. Sometimes it can hijack our process where two individuals can come into this and say, we know that our relationship is ending, our marriage is complete, but we don't need to blow up the house. We don't need to set everything on fire, and we don't have to set out to divide and conquer and be enemies. I agree. We can have the good divorce. Well, we, that's coming from the good divorce coach herself. <laughs> so listen, Karen, <laughs> I want to wish you a very happy Christmas and I want to say thank you so much for getting up at 5 a.m. Will you please go back to bed and, and sleep? Will you be doing that or will you stay awake now? Uh, I, I promise I will curl back up <laughs> in our winter storm and make the most of this pre-holiday season. And to all of our listeners facing divorce, thinking about divorce, or in the middle of it, I'm wishing you the best and reminding you everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thank you for that, Karen. Thank you so much. Now, 
If you're into the culinary world and you love your food, you will have heard of Chef Massimo Bottura. He's an international superstar in the world of chefs, and he was recently in Dubai. So Helen caught up with him to find out what he has planned for his Christmas feast in Italy. Such a pleasure to be in conversation now with chef and restaurateur Massimo Bottura, born and raised in Modena. He is the man behind Tornos Sapito, W the Palm, which was awarded its first Michelin star earlier this year. And he has fed some of the best food in the world to rich and famous people, but he's also the founder of Food for Soul, a non-profit that really values the health and well-being of the planet and its people through cooking. Um, he's also created a dining space for people experiencing homelessness and poverty in the outskirts of Milan. And we're getting in the mood for Christmas this afternoon, Chef. How are you? Great to have you back in Dubai. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be back in Dubai. There's been some big changes since we last spoke. As I said, you were awarded a Michelin star. How did you find out the news? <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, for us, uh, as European, you know how important it is. Because, uh, you know, uh, our food is not just about the quality of the ingredients, but the quality of the ideas. And mm -hmm. so being recognized by Michelin, um, that means for us that we are doing a good job. You know, not just uh, our guests, uh, because we are... Um, very successful here, but uh, also it's uh, it's about uh, the gastronomic guys and uh, and food critic that uh, for us is uh, very important. Oh, it's 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 really wonderful to hear that you even after all of the stars that you have accumulated and congratulations because Gucci uh, <laughs> Gucci in Tokyo has just got a star as well. Did it? Yeah, we have we have eight stars, <gasps> eight stars all over the world. Yeah, it's, it's not uh, it's not it's a it's a very important uh, achievement, you know. And it's not just for you, obviously. It's it, we think of you being the man behind these restaurants, which you are. But you've also yeah. got chefs in place. Um, in yeah, that's, that's that must be significant for them too, of course. Yeah, that's very significant, you know, because uh, in all my project, uh, creativity uh, is at the center of the project, and uh, but also the expression of each chef. Mm -hmm. uh, every place that we have in the world uh, could be Tokyo but also Los Angeles, but also Dubai. You know, they have uh, a chef that uh, has never to forget who, who he is and where he comes from. Mm -hmm. um, but he has also to establish uh, an important relation with the farmers, fishermen, cheesemakers, people like the artisans. They're like part of uh, the locals, you know, they're um, the key point uh, of the expression of our cuisine. Um, of course, uh, there are ingredients like uh, uh, in our restaurant, like Parmigiano Reggiano or uh, my balsamic vinegar, that uh, they have to be there. Mm -hmm. They have to be uh, part of, uh, of this expression. And, uh, you know, but usually is uh, uh, think about uh, where, you, where you're from and act very local with uh, local producers. That's really interesting, thinking about how the local flavours, the local cultures inform that creativity and, I guess, create a unique fingerprint for the, for the restaurant wherever you are in the world. And I wanted to ask yeah. you, Chef, about how your own creative process has changed over the years. Do you think it has? Of course, because I'm a contemporary man. Uh, be contemporary means know everything and forget about everything. And when I, when I travel, I always travel with my eyes and my ears open to absorb the culture, 
and uh, the knowledge of the people that I meet and um, what I read and uh, poetry and music and uh, uh, art and uh, because these are all my passion and my passion uh, is uh, uh, the tools that I use to transfer emotion through my dishes. I'm glad you mentioned music there. What are you listening to at the moment? And, 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 do, and do you have music in the kitchen? You know, I love that. I'm listening to many different things. Uh, uh, actually, um, you know, in the, last night I was falling, uh, you know, I was going to bed. Before going to bed, I was listening to Bob Dylan and his new, you know, new creation. Uh, you know, after pandemic, you think Bob Dylan is always, you know, oh, you the, the iconic things, but uh, it's very interesting how he's uh, managing uh, these uh, new moments uh, mm-hmm. and express uh, the pandemic. You know, a guy like him, eight years old, uh, that is uh, thinking about uh, life and future, and uh, everybody thinks about, oh, this is uh, like uh, the the record that is uh, reflecting about life and death. But no, he's reflecting about the future. Is reflecting about life, what he can do and what he can express. Uh, how can he express himself? But think about the future. But on the other side, I love to hear like the new things that, like for example, uh, the evolution of a life. Like a friend of mine, uh, as uh, Harry Style. You know, Harry Style is the idol of the young teenager. Um, you know, girls and. Uh, and, uh, you know, you think, uh, oh, but uh, you move from uh, Harry Style to Bob, from Bob Dylan to Harry Style. Yeah, of course, yeah, because uh, I listen to everything, you know. Uh, I can In- Inspiration start, uh, with, comes uh, from everywhere. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Harry Styles uh, is a bit of a Gucci way, boy as well. You, yeah, you, the, you yeah, got, you got the course. Gucci connection. He's a Gucci boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a Gucci boy. But Harry is like this. He's like, uh, he's a very humble person. Uh, extremely dedicated, and uh, I really appreciate it. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Meta with Chef Massimo Baturo, international superstar in the world of culinary, and he apparently we're going to find out if he's cooked for one particular superstar or not. Helen asked him straight. Have you fed Harry Styles? Actually, last summer he spent, uh, you know, a couple of weeks in Casa Maria Luigia, where we where we are, and was uh, Harry. At this point, is part of the family of uh, Francescana family. Oh my goodness! Can I join the family? <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, but, but I love this lack of lack total lack of pretension. Of inspiration comes from anywhere, and I think your point yeah. about about Bob Dylan being be- very forward facing is actually really pertinent because, yeah, I I would. It would break my heart if my children had all of their success in their twenties, and everything was and everything was downhill from there. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of you know finding love in your forties or starting a new career in your fifties, and I guess kind of pacing your peaks and finding new things to be excited about as you go through life. And I wondered how your ideas about ambition or success have changed over the decades as well, Chef. No, it's like uh, I never look for success of, uh, you know, achieve this, achieve that. You know, in my future, there will be always future. So I always uh, try to imagine scenarios, you know, like uh, right now I'm writing uh, with Lara, like the new uh, Bread is Gold book. And, uh, you know, Bread is Gold was very important because it was the one of the key points 
to finance uh, my project uh, uh, of the refectorios. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a new book now that is coming out, and uh, there's uh, new chefs and new volunteers, new projects. And this is what I want, you know, like, I want to see, I want to project the future. The success, the, the things, it's coming if uh, if you do the right things. If you do the wrong things, you have, uh, you know, like the imploding things, you know, like, um, uh, you know, to me it's always been that. It never, I never thought about uh, how much money I can make uh, doing this uh, or what I can do to be successful doing that. Uh, to me is always I do what I like to do. I'm, I'm at one point of my life that I even pick the people I speak with. So the, that's uh, that's my choice, you know, and uh, I live a life that is like a dream. Chef, tell us then about, I mean, I actually think that's a really beautiful answer in terms of success because it's not necessarily about monetary success. Sometimes it's about fulfillment and connection. Yeah. And that's really yeah. exactly what you're doing through the repertorios and through Food for Soul as well. And I wondered yeah. what responsibility you think chefs high profile chefs restaurants have to tackle food poverty you know you're obviously really leading the way and putting your name on some incredible projects but what else would you like to see oh um, you know uh, uh, be successful you know it's like satisfy yourself and uh, you know and the people that are around you um, shape the mind of the young generation there they have uh, you know uh, a sense of responsibility and open their their souls and uh, through the sense of responsibility. But every, everything starts from culture. Culture, knowledge, consciousness, sense of responsibility. So uh, the things that I keep saying to each uh, one uh, of uh, the young chefs, they look at me, and, and these are millions of people that are following me on Instagram or Facebook or my on social media for what I communicate, is uh, like this: the culture. If you have culture, if you study, if you know things, you can express yourself. That's extremely important. Then, uh, you know, uh, knowledge is what you do every day and uh, what you achieve every day, you know, like knowledge. Um, then uh, consciousness of what you have done and how you have done it. And uh, at the end, from consciousness to the sense of responsibility, the, steps, uh, the step is very short. Um, this is what I try to communicate to to uh, to the people um, uh, and to the the young generation that are following me. You know, if you imagine that eighty six percent of the my followers are under forty years old, this is a, a very important. Uh, uh, these are very important numbers, mm -hmm. and. Um, uh, uh, most of them, they're following me for all my social projects. Could be Food for Soul, could be Tortellante, could be the new project that uh, one of my chefs and, uh, and uh, uh, create in Modena is like uh, AIW and Roots, uh, the restaurant, the social restaurant that we have in which we involve uh, young uh, single African mama immigrants. They want to learn uh, uh, how to cook and uh, be uh, integrated in uh, in uh, in the Western society. You've got. How do you manage it all, Chef? Honestly, <laughs> no. I'm being completely serious. Like, do you have more, more hours in the day than anybody else? You know, I don't I, know. How? How? It's very easy. Uh, you know, if you transfer culture to the people that are around you, they'll like you open their minds. Mm -hmm. 
And if you open their minds, they're going to understand what you're doing, and they're trying to help to achieve uh, more goals. So this is how we uh, create our future, how we shape our future. Static and static are one and one things only. Oh, goodness. Your energy levels are incredible. Let's talk about the future. (laughs) Christmas is coming. Where are you going to be spending Christmas? And let's talk food. What is Christmas like uh, at Massimo Vettura's place? Uh, Christmas is the day, uh, but always is the moment in which uh, you open your heart. uh, You're like, uh, to me, uh, in, in my life, Christmas is every day. So that's why... For example, uh, we create a, a special breakfast in Casa Maria Luisa, exactly as my grandmother was uh, cooking breakfast on Christmas Day, uh, so one day a year, for my family. Uh, family means stay together, uh, dream together, fight, uh, make peace, uh, <laughs> but also shape the future, you know, and... and uh, Christmas was the, the happiest moment uh, of the year because for a kid because, um, you know, it was the moment in which I was waking up with all my brothers and sisters. We were running uh, under the tree, get, uh, you know, uh, open the presents uh, uh, back in the kitchen, uh, uh, steal some uh, of, the, of the breakfast that uh, my, my grandmother was preparing. My grandmother, she wasn't a great cook. Because really? she had to cook. Yeah, because she had to cook. And my mom was an amazing cook because she loved to cook. Mm-hmm. It what really makes made the difference is uh, the love that she has for cooking. And uh, but my grandmother was cooking uh, uh, an amazing uh, lunch um, breakfast uh, one day here and was Christmas Day. She was waking up at five in the morning, prepare you know all the breakfast all breakfast uh, in a wood burn oven. And, um, you know, for us was uh, very special, you know, the way that she was preparing uh, the breakfast. And so I said to Jessica, our chef at Casa Maria Luisa, Jeff, I really want uh, the guests at Casa Maria Luisa, they experience Christmas Day uh, in, uh, in my home when I was a kid. And so every day in Casa Maria Luisa is Christmas Day. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. Helen has been chatting with superstar chef Massimo Batura. And as always, she wants to know what's on the menu. And apparently he has a very long list of dishes he's going to be serving at his home in Italy. First of all is a woodburn oven. So you have a erbazzone, this crispy spy filled with herbs and uh, robiola inside, but also you have cotechino, the, the classic uh, modernese uh, sausage, cooked under the ashes with zabaione and sbrizzolona, like the almond cake that is like super classic from uh, uh, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And you mix together uh, sweet and savory. Or you have fried dough, gnocco fritto, with mortadella and uh, freshly made ricotta with a very old balsamic vinegar on top. Oh or you have uh, the frittata, like these uh, 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 scrambled eggs mixed with a little bit of parmigiano, but also caramelized onion or vegetables from the garden that is cooked in the oven and with uh, the smokiness of the wood burn fire. And... Um, and this is uh, how you give the flavor. 
and uh, you you can pick and you can uh, you know move from one place to another because it's a buffet that is constantly evolving during uh, the morning. So it's like uh, it's a feast, uh, like uh, Christmas time in Casa Bottura. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. that sounds yeah. like heaven. Yeah. But never. But it's very important what we do after Christmas because. Uh, you know, Christmas Day and uh, the day before Christmas and the New Year's Eve, uh, you know, like we prepare dinner. Uh, I prepare dinner and the lunch for the family. It's the only time that I cook for the family during the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the most important uh, uh, dinner is uh, uh, the day after, the 26th. Why is so that? the 26th uh, is tradition since uh, it's becoming a tradition. Um, uh, because uh, of uh, for my daughter to invite all his friends mm-hmm. in our home, and I cook the leftover from uh, the twenty fourth, the dinner of the twenty fourth, but also uh, Christmas lunch, and um, I prepare uh, like uh, leftover dinner, and uh, we start this uh, tradition ten years ago with my daughters and his closest friends. They were like. 10, 12 people. Now there are 60 people that are what? coming in my home. I'm not surprised. Yes. I'm like, yes, chef, I'll be <laughs> yeah. there. Massive, yeah. massive, massive. And I like up uh, prepare everything, you know, like everything left. So you imagine the refrigerator in, in my home, um, the 26 is completely empty because I clean from everything. <laughs> so this is the best dinner but because this, it's the best message. It is, exactly. This young. It, yeah. Exactly. F- eat those leftovers. I went to a, a hotel yeah. in Oman recently, which uh, you should, if you need to relax, I think you do, um, should go to. Yeah. But but they're, they've got a big sustainability angle. And I think buffets are quite problematic in, in some parts of the world in terms of greed and over-catering. But they had a sign yeah. in it, and it was a very nice sign. Just no, wood, that's, wooden. That's and very it, important. And it's it, very it, important, this so, message. And it's, 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 the, it's just the key said, point of the future. Yeah. This, you know? The sign just said, take what you like, but eat what you take. And I was like... Oh, that's very good. That's perfect. very good. It's a very good sign, very good message. And uh, to me, it's like, wow. Just makes sense. Beautiful. Um, beautiful, beautiful message. Let's look. It's what it, what it is. It's like, imagine, no? You have panettone for Christmas. Everybody eats panettone. But the day after Christmas, what are you going to do with all the panettone, with all the leftover? You know, I teach how to make a souffle of Ooh. panettone leftover. Or like, for example, but, uh, you know, have all the bread and the grissini and the focaccia that you make for, for those days, uh, you know, you can put together, like make bread crumbs, uh, focaccia crumbs, uh, uh, you know, and uh, make a, uh, handmade focaccia noodle, uh, adding a little bit of eggs, a little bit of parmigiano. You put in a, a potato squeezer, and you a razor, and uh, you know you squeeze it and you make a, um, uh, focaccia and uh, and uh, and par- parmigiano noodle into the chicken broth that is left from the day before. So that's that's very easy thing that it makes del- they they taste delicious. Uh, but they say it's also delicious for your soul Absolutely. because you don't waste food. Chef, let's look to next year very briefly. What are your hopes, your plans for 2023? Oh, I have so many plans. <laughs> Why you aren't know, I, I surprised? I hope uh, to open uh, several different uh, refectorios or at least two. 
one in Modena, uh, like uh, that is, uh, we already have a repository in Modena, but we want to open a, a special place to communicate uh, uh, and to, uh, you know, to, 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 to create a, a community uh, about, uh, you know, uh, in which we put together all the repertorio and we show, we want to show numbers, we want to show what's going on um, uh, in uh, Rio de Janeiro or in London or in Paris or in uh, Merida, in Mexico. So it's, uh, it's about, uh, uh, it's a, that, that it will be a very important plan. Uh, and uh, one another point, I would love uh, uh, to develop uh, the new project, uh, the new refectorio all over the world, but also the new Torno Subito in Miami. That in yes, uh, is that or, Bernardo's uh, is, gone to. Yeah, Bernardo will be there. You know, Amazing. here we have Alessio, the sparkle of news, uh, mm-hmm. a new chef, new energy, new life uh, uh, for Torno now uh, in Dubai. That is our you know, our, you know, headquarter, uh, our mind, uh, our first project, uh, but also we have uh, satellites. uh, And the first one, I think, that match perfectly with uh, Dubai is going to be Miami. So Miami and Dubai, two incredible potential places for gastronomy. They are growing so much in the past uh, three years that, you know, I think... uh, I always had in mind that would be the perfect uh, uh, combination to do Miami and Dubai. Well, we are so, so happy that have, you are here, yeah, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's just it's just a pleasure that you uh, prioritize this part of the world. Um, yeah. And last yeah. question. At least, I, at least I open a new, 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 uh, you know, I, I open the mind of the people. Dubai Absolutely. is different. Could be also a playful, uh, fun uh, place. Uh, to um, to create uh, to to create something different, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, we we shape uh, the 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 beach uh, and uh, and the mind of a new generation with uh, colors and uh, joy and happiness, uh, you know, with our food. So that's very important to me. Well, as I said, delight to have you back in town. And very last question: If we're coming to Tono Subito over the weekend what yeah. should we eat put together a little a little menu for us chef <laughs> all right all right all right so uh i think you should uh, have uh, like some cavatelli with langoustin and made that pasta uh, with uh, like a uh, classic style from south of italy with a guazzetto uh, that is a preparation classic preparation from tuscany so we mix south and uh, and north um, uh, uh, this is amazing uh, plate uh, as uh, the raviolini del plin classic from Piemonte mm. uh, the, the season uh, is perfect for even if uh, it's uh, hot outside uh, but uh, with poetic imagination you can imagine uh, an, an autumn and winter in Italy called uh, humid so it's uh, the perfect uh, uh, season for truffle and mushroom and uh, like goat ricotta cheese uh, uh, raviolini. So imagine how good they are. How mm, they're like (laughs) warm your soul. I am so hungry over here. (laughs) But also a classic as uh, filetto rossini. So like the classic preparation, uh, Italian preparation, rossini is very known 
to be is a is a classic music composer was a classic music composer that was like uh, super famous for his also gourmet approach and uh, he was crazy about truffle and uh, so we have a filetto rossini so means finish with truffle but also beef juice but also uh, a little bit of uh, caviar that gives a very deep taste uh, and a perfect umami in your palate so we create that and uh, to me it's like uh, is the perfect uh, uh, dish that uh, reminds you that we are in uh, winter and uh, in um, in a seasonal winter in uh, in um, in Europe. Yeah, even if we're having winter in the sunshine here. Well, I uh, think of course, there are... but you have to imagine. <laughs> you have to to dream. You have to be poetic. You enjoy the 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 season and you enjoy the sun here, the weather here, but uh, with your heart. Uh, you're like you're traveling uh, through seasons and uh, for us uh, for me as an italian you know it's very important to remind uh, that uh, you know there is a seasonal cuisine uh, to express absolutely well you've put it there perfectly that poetic yeah. imagination the power of transportation yeah. that food has chef massimo thank you so much for your time today oh, thank you it's thank been a you. pleasure you. you've taken us all over yeah. the world and, some... and don't miss the panettone i won't don't miss the panettone and then i know what to do with it afterwards own. as well yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chef massimo thank you so much thank you. wonderful to thank be in conversation you. with you, you. and it was have a pleasure a... to be with you and wishing you a very happy holiday season ahead <laughs> thank you to you too to all of you Make sure you tune in to Afternoons with Helen Farmer every weekday from 2 to 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.